Okay, you guys, here we go. She Runs Ultras, episode number 41. And this is kind of a long-awaited recap where I'm going to chat with Denise, Nicole, and Lorena about their experience at the Ragged 75 stage race. So if you remember back to a few episodes ago, I brought these ladies on. These are all athletes that I have had the privilege of working with. And we talked about some of the obstacles and the challenges and the excitement about doing their first and or their farthest ultra. So without further ado, please enjoy this chat with Denise, Nicole, and Lorena. We're back, you guys. I asked Denise and Lorena and Nicole to come back to talk to us about the Ragged 75 stage race and 50K. So I'm really excited to kind of get the download. I've talked to them like a little bit offline, bits and pieces here and there, but I'm really excited to kind of pull everybody back together and get the full recap of the race here. And we kind of talked about it ahead of time. We're going to just run through it day by day. And rather than, you know, getting into the nitty gritty of this hill versus that swamp or, you know, whatever they were running through, we're just going to give like a general breakdown of the day. So you can kind of see the progression and what they went through day by day by day. So I guess like, let's just start off, um, Denise, I'd love to hear from you, you know, your, your back when we talked the first time you had set some goals for the race, like what you wanted to do that, you know, you had your primary goal and then maybe your secondary or third or fourth or fifth goal. I'd be curious to hear from each of you guys, but we're going to start with Denise. Like how did the race go? Did you hit that overall goal? And then as we kind of go through, we'll talk about like the day breakdown, but because the goals were of particular interest to all of us, I want to kind of start there. Sure. Uh, So my first goal was just to finish the race, which I did. Yay. (laughs) Um, And second was to feel good after finishing the race. And although I will say the, the last, or I should say like the first hour after the race, I did not feel that great. (laughs) But the next day I wasn't so bad. So (laughs) second goal achieved. Uh, yeah, I did a lot of swimming in that next week and it felt great. I still haven't actually run though, (laughs) but I've been pretty active, just not running. That's awesome. Good to hear. All right, Nicole, I'd be interested to hear from you overall goal. What was your secondary goal? Just to kind of refresh people's minds. And then, you know, like, did you hit them? Like, how did you feel about them? Yeah. So Um, similar to Denise, I really, my biggest goal was just to finish, which I too did, um, finish the race. Um, my secondary goal was I really wanted to finish, um, day three in under 10 hours and by the skin of my teeth. I mean, I can't even tell you, I'm watching my watch as I'm like looking at the clock at the finish line coming down the hill. I finished under 10 hours with like 
20 seconds to spare. So barely finished, but I did it. Um, so that was great. And then also um, really just my overarching goal was just to enjoy the experience, um, which I really feel like I did as well. Meeting a lot of different people on the trails, um, getting to know kind of their why, being inspired by that um, was a huge goal of mine. And um, I've definitely made some friends um, at Ragged that, you know, I've now taken into my personal life. So I'm just so um, happy for that and looking forward to building those friendships. So yeah, I'd say hit my goals. That's awesome. All right. So Lorena, you had a little bit of a different setup, right? You weren't doing the whole stage race. You were just going to do the 50K. So talk to us a little bit about kind of what happened for you in terms of your 50K. Yeah. And I'm excited to be back on here because I was lucky enough to see Nicole and Denise finish their races and they were incredible. I was so inspired by them and all of the racers who came through. Um, For me, I did participate in the 50K on the Sunday, but my race strategy completely pivoted Um, two weeks before the race, I had a bad trail fall on my last training run and ended up in a boot and crutches. (laughs) And I was given a two plus month recovery from the doctors. Um, And so it ended up being a really bad sprain. And long story short, I did end up doing the race. I did complete um, just over a marathon distance of the race, and I was really happy with it. So I'll go into that more later. But um, overall, just really proud of the fact that I was able to pivot and, and push through and um, be there with friends at the at the race day. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to have Lorena kind of give us a little bit of a breakdown of you know, her injury and then the process that she went through to decide whether or not she was going to race. Because I think this is something that a lot of us um, have experienced, or maybe we anticipate having this maybe come up. Um, And so to hear someone else's perspective on what happened, her decision-making process, you know, to hear her tell the story, I don't want to not, this isn't a spoiler alert, I'm not going to give it away, but like to hear her tell it, you know, she was right down to the wire on whether or not she was going to do it. So we'll save that for day three. So let's kind of go back a little bit up to day one um, and just kind of talk about like, you know, arriving to maybe like check in, you guys had to be there the day before to get all of your stuff, um, check in and then prep for the the next day, day one. Denise, I saw you had your hand up. Did you want to add to what Lorena was talking about? Yeah, I don't mean to skip around, but I just wanted to emphasize like the gratitude for Lorena, Nicole, Tara, you, Megan, and Adam for being there at the race as well, my family. And I mean, everybody at the finish line and at the aid stations and the volunteers, because it really was this exciting atmosphere throughout the race. And it helped to have some people that we knew around. Cowbells! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so for those of you guys... um that like didn't what Denise is talking about is uh, there there's a ton of people at the aid stations there you know there's a ton of volunteers um, a lot of people will chase their racers on particularly on day three but if you've got family members that are kind of following you or kind of with you on days one and two they can 
find their way to those aid stations, they're not necessarily the easiest places to find. But if you've got a trail map and you've kind of you've been talking with your racer, you can kind of figure it out. And um, so on day three, what I like to do is show up uh, at to, to some random aid stations and and cheer people on that I know. And so I did get the the opportunity to see quite a few of my athletes uh, at between two different aid stations. And it was, it was really fun. And I particularly don't like to tell them that I'm coming <laughs> because it's more fun to see the surprise look on their faces. <laughs> and of course you guys know me, I was always there. It was a total surprise. Yeah, with, with cowbell in hand, you know, going crazy, uh, excitedly like ringing people up that long dirt road. We're skipping ahead. Hold on. All right. So you show up to the pre-race meeting, you get in there, you get all your stuff. Were you like excited? Were you nervous? Were you scared? What like, Nicole, tell us what your pre-race meeting feelings were. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't, it's, uh, it's still, it was like, it was this kind of, you know, I'm here. It was surreal, I guess would be the best way to explain it is, you know, it's, um, I went there for packet pickup and everything the night before, um, you know, going through the map, um, Tom and everybody that was working the race did such a fantastic job. Tom, um, is the race director just for reference, um, was doing such a fantastic job of like explaining, you know, the route and what we need to look out for and what we need to be mindful of. Um, and just kind of going through that process was kind of just like, this is really happening. And it sunk in because it had been eight months of work and just, you know, moving toward this one goal. And it was the biggest goal I had all year. It was the one thing I had been focused on since December, really. Um, and so it was just very surreal that I was finally there doing it. Um, so yeah, I guess that it surreal would sum up how I felt about it. <laughs> Denise, is that like pretty, pretty similar for you? I see you nod, nodding your head there. Well, I'm nodding and kind of laughing because I didn't make it to the pre-race meeting. <laughs> My experience was a bit different. I mean, I knew, or I had a pretty good sense that I wasn't going to make it. Um, so I was stressing out way ahead of time because <laughs> I wasn't going to make it. So uh, Nicole was generous enough to grab our like Tara and my stuff. Um, my friend Tara gave me a ride so that we didn't have too many cars at the end. Cause I also, thank goodness, thought ahead and knew I wouldn't want to drive after the finish. So, uh, which was true. I did not want to drive after the finish. Um, but yeah, once we, so like we kind of raced around, I worked that day and then we like got her son dropped off and got to the hotel. And that was more of the moment of like, okay, I can relax. And for me, it was like, all I have to do now is the race. Like the, before that, it was always like squeezing and training and stressing about, about fitting everything in. And once I got there, it was just like, all right, here we go. Yeah, I feel like when you, it's, you can stress out about it a lot ahead of time, because there's all sorts of like possible permutations for things that could go right, things that could go wrong, you could forget this, you could be late, you could get lost, like you could, there's all these things. But then once you're there, and you've got your number, and you're like, just laying down to sleep, like right before the race starts, you're like, okay, 
now all I have to do is race to your point. So, so you got, uh, I'm assuming you got like some sleep the night before, like maybe a little bit, maybe a lot. I don't know. Um, Nicole's like holding up her two fingers, like very close together, like just a little bit of sleep. And then you get up on day one. Uh, like, so what was kind of like the process for you getting up on day one, getting dressed, like same questions. Like, were you nervous? Were you scared? Like, did you forget anything? How did the beginning of day one start out for you guys? Whoever wants to go first. So the, I basically started getting ready for the race day the night before, which is something that I do before every race. I lay out, you know, all of my stuff. I put all my gear in order. I filled up all my bladders. Um, I put all my, my tailwind in there, got everything, all my, you know, supplements, everything that I needed. Um, got my shoes, I gave my clothes like a once over with bug spray that night and then again, bug spray the next day. Um, so I started doing that, um, the night before and then just basically in the morning, um, you know, just, I just, my biggest concern was it's like a flight, you know, it's like when you have to get to the airport early in the morning and you wake up about five or six times within the hour before you actually have to be up. So I wasn't, I was kind of already awake. So it was really just like, you know, I already knew I had my stuff. I knew I just had to get out of bed, be vertical, hopefully get some coffee in my system and, you know, just get things moving and get out the door and get to the start line. So that was it. And it was like, you know, actually Frank, which is, um, someone that we ended up being able to run a bit of the race with, um, he had mentioned, you know, something that you had said, Megan, where it was, or I think it was Frank, but, um, that just treat this like another training run, you know, and it just, and that just really helped just me not really have any nerves. I, it wasn't really nerves that I was feeling. It was excitement. You know, I was ready to kick this off, ready to see people that I knew, um, and ready to see, you know, the scenery. It's so beautiful where we got to run and just being able to absorb that. So I was excited. Yeah, that whole thing about treating it like it's a training day is definitely, um, I don't know if Frank got it from me, but it's definitely something that I try to think about. And it has helped me in the past not get so all up in my head or get worked up over the thing if I just think about it like it's another training day. It's a big one. Like I'm going to do a lot of miles. There's going to be more people involved, but it's just another training day. I have found that that helps me just kind of like breathe through the nerves. <laughs> so that, that I'm glad that you brought that up. Cause I think that's a good one that probably a lot of the listeners can kind of stash in their back pocket and maybe deploy the next time they head to, uh, head to a race. So Denise, how did your, you got to, you got there a little late the night before. How did your day one kickoff go for you? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, it was kind of similar to Nicole's where like first thing in the morning, I just like worried about getting my stuff to the truck on time. <laughs> like, and then that was kind of the like next step. It's like, I got to have all this stuff. And the night before, I think I repacked everything. <laughs> even though I'd already packed it once, like in the hotel, I took it all out, repacked it. And I slept in my clothes. That's also something that I often do. It's weird, but it's something I do. So I like got my clothes on ready for the next day already. <laughs> and then, yeah, we woke up, had coffee, got all, all my bladders were already filled. I had them in the cooler to have them ready cold. Um, and yeah, I wasn't, I don't think I was really that nervous per se that day. Maybe because that day I 
thought was going to be just another training run, more or less. But I do have to say that into the day, at the end of the day, was a totally different feeling. <laughs> so I don't mean to, I don't know if we're, that's skipping ahead, but it turned out to be like the hardest training day I've had. And it was totally unexpected to me. So I was thinking day one, I got this, like, let's do this. And I was not feeling good. Recap and just tell us, Nicole, if you want to tell us what the weather was like so that people can kind of get a sense for the conditions that you were facing. Because I know you're, you guys are both like shaking your heads like, yeah, it was a, a rough first day. So how did day one go for you, Nicole? Yeah. So, so I mean, I thought Denise, I'm surprised to hear that you felt like you struggled because she was like, just like jackaloping up the hill. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, how do I keep up with this amazing human? That's just traversing this. Like it's no big deal. Um, but yeah, it was hot. Um, and when I'm saying hot, um, like 80 to 86 and to some of the runners in the South, like that may not seem that bad, but, um, be mindful of the fact that in New Hampshire, we've had a really cool, wet summer for the most part. So our ability to heat train just didn't exist going up to this. So we had like, for me, at least most of my runs were in the rain, um, maybe max temperature, like 70 degrees. I mean, it really, they were cool, rainy runs for the most part. So my body was not prepared to be in humid mid eighties conditions. Um, also the first day, like I struggled so much the first day and I really am so grateful for, I, um, completed the first and second day with, um, Denise and Tara and they were so patient because there were parts where I genuinely struggled. And that was really like going up ragged was very, very challenging. Um, and a couple of parts where it was like, I might just die. I don't know. But like, I was I don't know if I'm going to survive this. Um, but really, they kept me inspired to keep pushing through. So that, I just cannot thank them enough for that. But yeah, I mean, it was the heat. And it was, I made a couple of really um, serious errors in judgment as far as nutrition and hydration. I noticed that I wasn't because I'm not someone that it's, it's, it's very hard for me to eat while I'm running. Um, and while I'm doing anything like this, any sort of event, I have a really hard time making myself eat something. And so I waited until I got to the point where I was out of steam and then tried to fill the bucket. But it was like, at that point, it was like, I was trying to fill a void that just kept getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And I couldn't catch up. Um, and with the heat and knowing that I was already starting to feel some symptoms of dehydration, like I just really, I, it was extremely difficult. It humbled me beyond belief. Um, but it did teach me some very serious lessons that I took into day two that I will save for that conversation. So how, where were you mileage wise? So let's, let's back up to two part question. How many miles did you do on day one? And then where were you mileage wise when your bucket was empty and you started, you tried to catch up when it comes to hydration and nutrition? Yeah. So I think, and keep me honest, Denise, but I think I saw like 25 miles on my watch for day one, about 25. Um, 
And I really started to notice it at like mile 16. And it was really just downhill from there. And I don't mean literally downhill. It was figuratively downhill because we were literally still going uphill. (laughs) But it was not good after that point. It was just like I just had to try and survive it and keep uh, moving forward. And that was honestly where like Denise and Tara just had they not been there, it would have been I would have I would have kept pushing forward just because I was not about to quit if I could help it um, on day one, but it would have been much, much more difficult mentally. Denise, what was your take on day one? Because I think this is interesting. Even though you guys were together, this is the interesting part about racing. And um, I'm, I'm going to kind of go back to something that I said to all of you guys. Maybe it was even individually offline because you guys were talking about reading somebody else's race blog about this race. And I think I told Denise specifically, and maybe I told Nicole, I can't remember. Stop reading the blogs. (laughs) Like stop reading the blog because it's just one person's snapshot in time. And you don't know necessarily like how well they were trained, what their background is, how they went into it, nutrition wise, hydration wise, you know, weather, all of the things. But I think it's interesting that you guys can be in such close proximity. You were basically running together during the race, but that you would have different perspectives and different takes on how day one, I mean, like very similar in the same ballpark, but just different perspectives. So Denise, how did your day one go? Yeah, I mean, the day one was just so hard for me. I guess it was part of the heat, but most of it, I think was, I decided at the last minute to use my poles for all three days. Like I had gone into it thinking I might use them on the third day, but on that training run with when I tested them out at, you know, towards the end of my training, instead of the beginning, like I should have, I like fell in love with my poles, but I hadn't realized that then I wasn't going to drink enough because it hinders me from like putting my camelback tube in my mouth and so I was just like go 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 and forget about drinking and so that was definitely a lesson learned on day one that I tried not to have happen on day two and three but I was just tired and meant I don't know day two was actually like way worse mentally but day one was the start of it <laughs> was just like what am I doing like I thought I had this and I'm just done I don't know I was tired and like grumpy, I guess, is more like that's the feeling. I was just like grumpy when usually I love being on the trails. I'm just like so excited, which was not to go too far ahead, but day three, I was just like ready to go again. Well, and I think that's an interesting part about stage racing because, you know, going into it, you know, it's going to be multiple days. And especially if it's your first time, you're not 100% sure how each day is going to go. You know, you, you go into it, thinking, I expect to feel this way on day one, this way on day two, and this way on day three. And sometimes it actually lines up that way. And sometimes it doesn't. So that's kind of what you guys are expressing that, you know, you thought maybe it was going to be, you know, easy, hard, hardest. 
And I think the order sometimes gets shuffled around based on conditions and effort and nutrition and hydration and just all of these things. Um, I want to just back up real quick because we have kind of been interjecting other people into the story, like Frank and Tara and other, you know, kind of characters. And I just want to contextualize for people that are listening. So uh, Frank is another client of mine who also has been training for the three-day stage race. And he got to run a good portion of, I think it was day three with you, Nicole, right? And, you know, they were kind of like, kind of like scattered through the days. The stage race is such that like you can be with one group for a little bit and then you kind of fall off and maybe you hook up with another group, maybe you run by yourself, but then, you know, everybody comes back to camp at night and you chit chat and maybe the next day you start out with a new group of people. So there might be like other names and other people that get interjected in here. So I just want to kind of give a little bit of context. And then Tara is actually a friend of Denise's that has been training for the stage race. And actually all three of you, including Tara, so all four of you actually went out on a training run even before the race happened. And you did a certain section of the course. So you had a little bit of upfront knowledge on the course, the conditions, you kind of met each other. um, Because until that point, right, you guys, basically, aside from either, you know, seeing each other on zoom, right, uh, only knew each other, uh, not yet in real life. So yeah, Lorena, what did you want to add to that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, between these two podcasts, we did that training weekend, um, really specifically on the 50k course, but also um, adding in part of day one to it too. So we covered a little over 40 miles that weekend and um, back to back. And yeah, it was other than Denise and Tara, it was our first time really meeting each other in person. And um, it was a great bonding experience, extremely good and practical learning experience because we found a lot of pavement uh, as part of the route, which we did not find in any blogs, in any website um, updates. And I think it might have just been, you know, newer roads had been um, covered over. But also we went through the course before it was mowed, manicured. <laughs> uh, there was so much uh, weed whacking in places um, that I was really happy come race day was gone, but um, it did give us a good lens uh, into what we were up against and, you know, where we could see um, critical moments for refueling too. Yeah, it's definitely interesting if you aren't familiar with this trail, it, it certain sections of it get used more frequently than others. And for sure, there's whole sections to your point, Lorena, that uh, get quite overgrown throughout the year because they just don't see as much foot traffic. And then Tom and his crew will go through and really mow it down and, you know, make it passable. It's not like a, a, a rat jaw experience at Barkley where, you know, you're just getting torn up by those, um, by those prickers. Tom is much more, uh, <laughs> much more cautious with his racers and actually does his due diligence to mow down those obstacles. So, Let's kind of dip into day two. Like, so you came back from day one, you get back into camp. What's your strategy for kind of unwinding, refueling? Like, walk us through how you did the rest and recovery from day one into day two. I don't know who wants to tackle that first. Maybe Denise? Sure, I can go first. Um, We were 
fortunate that first day that camp was right next to a pond or a lake, I guess, Kizar Lake. And the reason I say that's fortunate is because throughout most of my training, I would swim as a cool down or like as a recovery from my runs anyway. So I was thrilled <laughs> that I could do the same on race day. And so I'm pretty sure we just grabbed our bags and went straight to the lake <laughs> when we got done. Like, all I wanted to do those last miles was like, just get me to the lake. Just get me to the lake. Just get me to the lake. Then we set up camp, uh, did some stretching and stuff, trying to remember. Ate dinner. They had, we got the meal plan. And Tara's in-laws were generous enough to bring us some food. So we got some, like, fresh produce kind of food that, you know, you can't pack as well. Um, and I went, I mean, we went to bed early. Well, I, I did at least. <laughs> I fell asleep. For, like, I'm an early sleeper anyway. So I uh, went to bed as soon as I could. And I did actually, this is a funny thing that's not my normal routine, is I woke up at about midnight and I was starving <laughs> and I had to go to the bathroom. But um, so I ended up using it as an opportunity. Like I went, walked to the bathroom, got some food, and I stretched again in the middle of the night. And I feel like that really helped get me ready for the next day. Nicole, how did you, how did the end of your day one go? Um, Well, it was pretty much in line with, I was with Denise and Tara for the, (laughs) for the evening. So we pretty much did the same thing. Um, The nice part about being able to just jump into Keys, uh, was it Keysar Lake? Is that the one? I think that was it. Um, But the nice thing about that is also there, because of COVID, we weren't able to, um, overnight at the location that they normally do. And so we didn't actually have access to showers. Um, And so that was kind of our recovery slash bathing opportunity. So um, yeah, it was so nice to just jump right in, cool off, um, have some nice active recovery, and then also um, just get all of the dirt. I think it was the first day that I wiped out like twice really hard on the trail. Um, and so I was covered in mud. Like the second time was basically a swim um, because it was really like it, like I had said, it's, it had been muddy um, because or it had been raining all of July. So the trails were really saturated. Um, so there were definitely some spots where um, I fell. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, and then, yeah, we just, we had dinner, um, the meal, doing the meal plan was honestly genius, um, because it saved so much time, so much energy, um, just being able to do that. Um, and there were a lot of tennis balls just lying around, which was nice. I don't know if that was intentional. Um, we just kind of like, we asked around, they didn't belong to anyone. We commandeered them. So we rolled out our feet, um, rolled out different areas of our, of our body. And, um, yeah, I just did a bunch of stretching. So it was low key, went to bed as soon as possible too. Granted, I did watch a little Netflix, but, um, it was good. <laughs> yeah. I totally forgot about that, Nicole, when you fell like towards the end of day two, all the way in the mud, <laughs> like all the way in the mud. Yeah. I went I went swimming. I looked like a like swine when I came out of that <laughs> trail. <laughs> Did you trip or what happened? It was just so slick. And so it was like where you thought you had shore footing. It was just like, you know, it was mossy. It was slippery. And um, the first time 
um, I landed right on my tailbone and my elbow and it like, it was, it gave me a pretty good, like that hurts. So I was worried, um, going into that, but ended up only being like a couple of bruises and I was totally fine. It didn't phase me at all. But, um, the second one was just like, come on, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> but I still felt victorious cause I didn't actually break anything. So I was like, you know what, if I'm going to fall, those were great falls cause nothing's broken and I can continue on. Yeah. Falling is like a rite of passage. I feel like here <laughs> at some point you're going to take a fall, whether it's on day one, day two, day three, all days, just, you know, just one or the other. But it's, I think it's a, it's definitely, uh, that course is prime for, for falling. So, so you get to bed, you get up the next morning, knowing, you know, how day one was knowing what's basically on tap for day two. How, how are you heading into that day? Are you going to change something? Are you going to do something's exactly the same? Like what was your game plan going into day two? Um, so I really knew going into day two that I needed to focus on, um, hydration and nutrition. And so, um, we also on day two was a little bit tricky. It was shorter. We, so day one ended up being a little bit longer. And again, it was because our overnight location changed because of COVID. So day one, we ended up tacking on some miles, but it took off of day two. So day one was about 25. Day two ended up being about 23-ish um, miles. But in there, we needed to keep in mind that the um, uh, aid station, because day one and day two only have one aid station each day. So day two, the aid station was earlier just because logistically that's where it was possible. So I think it was like maybe nine, 10, it was between nine and 11 miles in. It was like in the first half, um, pretty early on in the first half of um, day two. So just being mindful of that, I wanted to basically finish as much of my water as I could so I can refill fully um, for that second half, knowing that it's going to get hotter. It was the hottest day, I think, that we had of the race. It was 86 or 87 that day. Um, so knowing that and then also just focusing on, um, you know, hitting up the aid stations for nutrition. I had potato chips. I had pickles. Um I had some bananas. So some stuff that like I knew I could tolerate okay, um, in addition to what I was already carrying. Um, so, but it was interesting with the heat, not everything that I trained with was something I wanted. So because it was like, because on cooler days, you know, um, some of these like uh, wafer bar things worked really, really well. Um, but in the heat, it was just, it felt like I was eating like sand you know, it just wasn't something I wanted. So hitting, definitely taking advantage of the aid station where they had fresh food, where it didn't feel like it was just like a lump and I was trying to swallow my throat. So yeah, I definitely switched that up. Um, and overall, honestly, day two, I felt like a new person and I don't know if it was because I slept so much better, but obviously it was, you know, changing up my nutrition and hydration, but yeah, I felt like a totally different person. I felt way better day two. I felt great when I woke up for day two, but I still wasn't feeling so great after day two. But uh, mentally, it was definitely mental. But I guess I was surprised when I woke up that I felt ready to go again, which was, I mean, that was always the goal, but I wasn't so sure. And like Nicole said, like, I just tried to drink more. I did 
intentionally decide I was going to, I was like going back and forth over, like, do I go fast? Like, I don't know if fast is even, I mean, fast is relative, but like, do I slow it down? I have time or do I like go my comfortable pace? What I like, cause I couldn't quite tell if sometimes I was just going slower and that was actually like making me tired. Like just longer time on my feet was making me tired. Cause this, the first day was the longest or slash slowest I'd ever gone. You know, like I'd covered that many miles. So how long did it take you? I think it was eight and a half hours. And that was just longer than I was regularly training. And I just started off slow that morning. I actually met Elena and we got to chat. And then, like you said, like you, you know, catch different people at different times and we got to talk. And and it's funny because I actually know her from the Find Your Ultra Facebook group, but I didn't know, you know, like her. I finally met her in person. And then I remember later on in the run, I was back up with Tara and Nicole and we kind of gained on another group and they really pulled us through this forest section before the aid station. Um, And they just like, you just reach certain people and they just have this energy. But I was still feeling good at that point through the aid station ups on a pee but then I just hit a moment where like I want to be done I remember saying like what was Megan thinking she told me I could do this (laughs) like she was I mean I was just going down this negative train of thought of like she didn't train me for this (laughs) you know it wasn't your responsibility but you did I was just in a negative space (laughs) yeah I had I walked a lot at the very end as well like I just got to the point where I'm just walking in I don't have, like, I didn't, I had the time that day and I was just like, I'm just finishing the day. And I honestly didn't even know if I was going to start the third day at that point. (laughs) Like, that's how negative I was. And I think like, that's, you know, part of that is to be expected. It's a three day effort. It's longer and harder than, you know, most anything that you've done in training. And yes, we did talk about this at some points during the group where, you know, we would talk about how, you don't really know until you do it. If can you do it? Who knows? You're just going to have to show up and give it your best effort. There's going to be you guys can't see me that are listening to the podcast, but like there's going to be some highs and lows, you know, I'm making that like wave motion with my hand and the the I think the biggest takeaway from this, like the point that I kind of want to hammer home to people is that it's going to happen that you're going to have these moments where you're feeling awesome and then you're just going to feel like shit. And that those two moments can happen almost simultaneously, like so close to one another that you're like, how is this even possible? But the key to that is, especially when it comes to ultras, is that whatever's happening right now, it's going to pass, right? Just give it time. Maybe it's a minute, maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's an hour, but don't make a decision right now based on just the information and the circumstances that are happening right now because if you do you may regret it or or not right like you may have come to that decision over a period of time but a lot of times what i've seen and i've been on the verge of doing to myself is like making a decision a hasty decision in the moment to either pull the plug or change something or do something just based on how I'm feeling and the thoughts that I'm having around this one moment in time. And then when I catch myself doing that, I'm like, time out, just like take a step back, think about it. You know, what was I feeling like before? What could I possibly feel like 
down the line, is this really the best decision for myself right now? Um, and typically I come to a different decision, but I think I'm glad that you brought this up, Denise, because I think people might think that your progression over the day might just be linear. Like it's not always the case. Like there's a lot of ups and downs and it's okay to feel good, bad, happy, angry, sad, mad, like all, you're probably going to get like a full lifetime's worth of emotions on one day in just one ultra. And then when you spread it out over three days, it's almost amplified times three, because not only are you stacking those three days, you're stacking three hard days. It's like a whole experience. It's like time compressed. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a, it's an interesting experience. Um, so give us a recap how long, and I'm really, you know, just asking to help to put into context how long it took you to finish day two, just based on, you know, knowing that day one was about 25 miles. It took you approximately eight and a half hours. Day two was 22, 23. How long did that take you? Yeah, I'm looking at my watch data now, but it's about seven hours for day two. And I will say that on day two, after we got back in, I did make the decision to walk even further (laughs) to go to the lake. (laughs) So I went into town and got a smoothie and went in the cold Lake Sunapee, even though you're not really supposed to swim there. And that was a whole other thing. There was like a police officer. And I was like, I came all this way. I didn't have to talk to him, but I was worried I was going to have to talk to him because I was like, I came all this way to jump in this lake and now I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. And I just did it at the boat launch. You rebel, you. (laughs) I can totally sympathize with that. Like all, all you want at the end of a hard day like that is like your, you know, instead of your creature comforts, like your hot shower and your bed and your like comfy sweats or whatever, at the end of a stage race day you're like I just want this this and this and for everybody sometimes it's different like so for you it was like I want a smoothie I want to jump in the lake and then I want to go put my whatever put my comfy clothes on maybe right and when there's an obstacle to that it just feels like so much more insurmountable because you're like I just want like I just did all of this hard effort I just want these three things so I can totally, I can totally sympathize with that. So the, I don't know if the women's showers still didn't have hot water. <laughs> we just sucked it up or if I was too late to get hot water, but I took my own polar plunge in the showers. So it was very cold. Um, but honestly, I was, I was totally fine with that. Um, I definitely am more of a, I want to take a real shower after, a, um, a hard push, but with like the heat, I was so okay with it being a cold shower. I was so good with that. And so I just, you know, that was great. So I, instead of doing the, um, smoothie and lake thing, which actually sounded like such a good time until I got back and I was like, Oh, I don't know about that. So I did the, I ended up just doing the shower. I ate some pizza. I laid on the gym floor and just stretched for like an hour and a half until dinner. And then Tom, the race director again, brought out ice cream, Snickers and Twix bars. And he was everybody's hero. And it was a great evening. (laughs) (laughs) 
So that brings us to day three. So I want to dip back over and talk to Lorena and bring her into the fold here because she mentioned at the beginning having an injury and, you know, racing day three, doing the 50K. So Lorena, give us a little bit of background, what happened, kind of recap your injury for us, and then kind of walk us through your decision process, like how did you decide to race? Like, what was that process like? Give us the give us the lowdown. All righty. Well, I think to start, I will say that my ultimate goal when we were sharing that in the beginning was having this race being kind of like a rebirth from this year for me. And um, in so many ways, having something go awry so close to race day, I think that happens to to many racers in different forms. And, um, you know, when I took my fall, so it was a fall on the trails. Um, I ended up, I, it was a wet day. It, it was raining. Um, it had just kind of stopped, but I was going through a loop of a normal trail that I, that I, by normal, I mean that I'd been conditioned on previously for many long runs. Um, but for, I think reasons that I think I was pushing myself too much. And I think I had a lot in my mind um, moving through, I misstepped. And so I took, I took a tumbling kind of crash um, down this sort of slopey section, um, rolled my left ankle, really inverted it. And uh, in the fall, smashed my right knee on a rock, um, which started bleeding, but I did not recognize that because I was starting to lose consciousness. Um, I did have a lot of emergency things with me, but because there was really no one in my vicinity, um, I knew where I was in relation to the road. I was about a mile from the nearest small road and was able to contact someone, a family member, um, to come near me and uh, hobble off and try to get to um, the doctor. So um, when I did go to an urgent care, uh, I was told that, yep, you are out. You are not going to be doing running or walking, anything mobile, really, for the next two months at least. Uh, we're going to do an x-ray. We think it's a high ankle sprain. We're not sure. Um you know, they didn't even really look at my knee because the swelling um, on my left side was was pretty intense. Um, and I did have this ankle sprain previously in 2012, um, different circumstances, but uh, I knew from that experience that it was going to be uh, a lot of, you know, PT, um, further work that had to happen, but down the line. And given that it was Two, two weeks before, two Sundays before race day, I was just crushed. I felt crushed for a split second, but contextually, I think for me, what was going on at the time in my personal life, um, it felt like just a small fragment of everything else. And I, I, I try to recenter myself in gratitude and knowing you know, the, the fact that I've gotten this training cycle, this experience, I've made incredible friends like Nicole and Denise and you, Megan and Tara through the experience. And um, yeah, really feeling like whatever was going to happen out of this, I, I fulfilled what, what I felt like I, I wanted to get from this. Um, so with that said, 
I immediately emailed Tom saying I couldn't do the race, unfortunately, and asked what were the options to defer to next year or refund. And then I was mulling it over. I was not sleeping. I was, you know, the next two days thinking, well, what if (laughs) there's a possibility that I could stabilize my leg enough, which I had a boot um, at the time and crutches that were given to me to use. I had to elevate. I really couldn't walk around. Um, And so for those two weeks, you know, really not doing too much walking, definitely no jogging or running. So really no training (laughs) in terms of um, race specificity. And um, though in those couple of days, I was researching KT tape. Um, Megan, you had tipped me off as well as a coworker of mine um, had tipped me off to um, sort of like icing and um, cryotherapy. And I was looking into all these different kinds of remedies and getting poles because I wasn't planning on racing with poles. Uh, Given our training weekend, I felt pretty comfortable without and I felt like maybe would impede me given it was just for the one day. But just all of the plan B, C, D uh, opportunities I could have to see if I could support myself enough to be able to hike or jog, you know, part of the race. So um, with all that said, I did that prep work in those two weeks simultaneously, you know, my, I do have um, a full-time job. I'm manager at a museum and I also um, am a resident artist uh, in Connecticut as well. And kind of um, my time for the race training specifically, I was already working things through and we talked about shifting schedules in our last podcast. And so this time around, doing anything I could to um, make recovery the priority. And I did go to New Hampshire. I went with my mom and it was important for me to be able to try to do it for her. Um, And come that weekend, I remember getting texts from Denise and Nicole and asking, you know, I was asking them how they were doing and they were asking vice versa and, um, you know, just saying, really think about it. Think about if um, it's worth it at this time to do it. And they even said that they would be willing to do the route with me when I'm fully recovered, which I absolutely appreciated. And I think it's a testament to the kind of community um, that these racers kind of build, you know, through something like this. Um, But yeah, come race day, I really still was unsure (laughs) whether or not I should do it because I'm the type of person that when I commit myself to something, I'm going to go 110% and I'm going to do as much as I can, knowing that that's all I have left in me. And no one else, I think, can determine that for you, whether or not you have an injury, whatever your circumstances are. And I think every racer in this kind of um, experience will, will encounter. So Um, I did prep everything in advance. I did lay everything out the night before, um, got to, um, you know, pack it, pick up the morning of for me and, uh, did feel really flustered. I taped my ankle like heck, uh, the most I've, I mean, I tried testing it out. 
Um, I tried with the poles. I never used the poles before, uh, which is not good advice to, to just jump in running with poles. But those things were going to save me. And my strategy was to take the, the, the pavement parts as kind of quickly or swiftly as I could moving, knowing that a lot of the route would be unstable, would be, you know, footing would be irregular. I would kind of take the brunt of that weight on my right, um, which I, maybe I'll, I'll pause here and let Nicole and Denise share their experience because then I can kind of pivot back to to how that changed for me while the race was going on. Yeah, that's a that's a good place to kind of put a pin in it because there's there's a lot that happens over the course of day three in that 50k and uh, I'm I want to bring kind of everybody to the same place and kind of have you guys all finish together, so to speak. So, uh, Denise, how did you got up on day three? How were you feeling about, you know, heading out for your third day? Did you, had you gotten over that hump of, you know, feeling upset or did you kind of, did that carry over into day three? How did it start out for you? Luckily, I woke up feeling amazing, (laughs) ready to go. I mean, I didn't know that I was going to wake up that way, but actually the previous night I was laying there trying to go to sleep and I looked back at our training run that we had done and I looked at the time and I had already told my husband earlier that night, like, I don't know if I'm doing day three, like, we'll see how it goes. And then right before bed, I was like, it's going to take me. I think it's a 10 and a half hours. I'll see you at 530 at the finish line because I was really worried about telling them like what time to be at the finish line. (laughs) I had no idea how long it would be. I wanted to finish in like this accurate time. So I woke up and felt great, ready to go. And I was actually planning to go slower, kind of like on day one and two, like at the beginning, like not to burn myself out the first time, but I just felt good. And it was thankfully felt good because I went pretty fast the first half, I guess I'd say, and I needed it. If I hadn't gone fast, I probably wouldn't have met the, met the cutoff. So, but it felt like way faster than I was used to doing. Yeah. And I think piggybacking off of that, we wouldn't have known to really capitalize on those first five miles, I would say, including the Jeep tracks, if we had not already tested the route frankly. And I know that that opportunity isn't available to many racers, but I think when possible, you know, as site specific as you can, but in our case, you know, that information was crucial um, to developing a strategy to, to finish or to move through as much as the race as we could. Yeah, that's a really good point. So Nicole, how were you on day three? Yeah, I was great. Um, I was ready to go. I was excited to, um, see my husband and my daughter, um, at the finish line. So I was ready to just tackle it and get it, get it going. I knew that, um, day three was really like kind of my wheelhouse. Um, I'm much more like, I think it's interesting, you know, you start to, um, do these things and traverse these ultras with different people and you see their strengths and my strength, and you still see a lot of your own strengths and weaknesses too. And my, Strength is not going up a steep hill fast. That is not my strength. I'm not that person. I never 
you know, I, I'm saying I'm never going to be, I'm never going to be that person. Cause I don't really care if I'm that person, <laughs> you know, I'm okay with not being that person. Um, <clears throat> but I know that my strength really is the running. And so day three, I knew that that was mostly going to be where I could capitalize on my strength. Um, and so I was really looking forward to that, um, and kind of breaking the legs out and getting some, you know, more elongated movement, um, which my body was really craving. Um, so yeah, I, I felt really good. And, um, you know, similarly to Denise, I ended up just kind of blowing through it. Like I kept feeling good. I was hydrating. I was feeding myself. I was taking care of my body and my body was thanking me for it and, you know, repaying me by just letting me move quickly through these trails. And, um, cause I knew, just on day one, you go up ragged and there's a sign at the top that you on day one, you take a right and you keep moving over on day three, you take a left and you're going down backside of ragged and you're done. And so I knew I was going to see ragged again, which was my nemesis on day one. Um, and so I knew I was going to see it again on day three. So I need, I knew I needed to do what felt good on day three for as long as I could, um, so that I could get to that that part, um, and still feel like I had some time to tackle it because I was going to need it. And I think one of the things that we talked about, I think in the group and maybe in some one-on-one conversations is that with these multi-day races, you're not necessarily eating or drinking for that day you and you're not stretching you're not sleeping you're not you know doing this or that for that day what you're actually doing is setting yourself up for the next day and the day after that so the key to a lot of these races is staying you know and you guys are kind of echoing this and calling this out as you're talking about it's like don't get into the deficit, stay ahead of this stuff. And what will ultimately end up happening is if you can do that, day one might be really hard, but day two is just a little bit better. And if you keep consistent on that stuff during day two, then you're setting yourself up for success on day three. And I think you guys are demonstrating that as well, that it's not just about kind of being in the fight for that day and head down and you're kind of turning a blind eye to what's coming up. It's you're, you are head down, you're doing the work. Um, but you're also in the back of your mind thinking, okay, well, I still have day two, I still have day three, and you're strategizing not only your plan of attack for how you're physically going to run the thing, but how you're going to strategize food and water and rest and stretching and, and all of the things. So I'm, I'm happy that you guys are, are kind of pointing that out. So Lorena, how far did into day three did you get? Like kind of run us through where how did it go? Like, where did, where did you get to? Yeah. So, um, I ended up getting to the, uh, aid station at mile 27 when I, um, decided to stop. Um, and in that time, you know, from the start line where we started together, um, and my first kind of go at jogging <laughs> at, with all of this, um, the circumstances, I thought, okay, here goes nothing. <laughs> but um, yeah, I remember at, I would say mile five, um, Nicole and I were on the Jeep track together, just starting out. And Nicole had shared with me 
uh, her goal of getting under 10 hours. And I said, Godspeed, go, <laughs> go onward because I, I would love to do that, but I've got to run my race. And that was all of our, um, our mantras really when we, when we began knowing that we were all in different circumstances given, given everything. So, um, shortly after that, I tried to deploy my poles and in excellent newbie fashion, I was not able to clasp them <laughs> as well as I could. So they kept coming undone. And I had this panic moment. Like I could not move through any trails without the poles. They were essentially like my crutches. Um, and mind you, I, I did get to the doctor before I did this and tried to to make sure I was clear in a sense, um, covertly. But yeah, I, I think I felt that the frustrating part was my fitness was was perfectly fine. I didn't feel fatigued in that way, shockingly. Um, but it was really a matter of staying laser focused where my foot placement was, finding as much level ground as possible, having almost no turn of my ankle or left leg at all and really taking the brunt of the force on my right. Um, and so even moving through grassier segments, you know, I had no problem doing the inclines. Um, at mile 19, um, I remember there was a there was a good stretch after an aid station where it would be maybe a mile and a half, two miles where you're really shooting up the mountain. And that wasn't bothering me. But what I started to feel around mile 24 was this really shooting sensation in my knee, which surprisingly, it wasn't my ankle it was my knee. <laughs> um, and contextually, I had done a similar injury to it in earlier part of the year snowboarding. And so what I didn't account for was the repeat injury that happened and it started to really shake and not hold up for me to get down physically every single step that I took it it was becoming dangerous for me to continue and so while it was frustrating to accept that I knew going into the race if there was a time where I felt like I was putting myself really really at risk that I would make the smart decision to pull the plug um, so I did continue for another two or three, two miles um, until I really knew I had to call. I ended up calling Tom, the race director, and my sister had gotten his number for me. Um, thankfully, I, I knew I had service on the trail at that point. This was I had already gone up Bog Mountain and I was going down it. Um, and so for people listening, that's kind of the I would say the midsection of the race because you know, after Bog, there's maybe four miles of relatively flat terrain until you get to the last few miles to try to tackle ragged. And I and I knew that in my head that was more intense than Bog, having already done the whole course. And so I used that information to really evaluate how I would be able to face it or not. And um, so, yeah, I called Tom and Tom is incredible. Like Nicole mentioned, uh, he has done so much for the race, so much for the racers, really genuinely cares. He contacted the aid station where I did not know my mom was there to surprise me. Um, and uh, 
you know, the two racers or two, um, I'm sorry, volunteers ended up coming up the mountain just to make sure I could come safely down. And one of them uh, kind of stayed with me as I was hiking down it because it was in so much pain um, with my knee. And uh, once I got to the aid station, uh, you know, I, I felt this kind of sense of a sort of accomplishment or almost like a piece. Like I had done what I set out to do and I damn did the thing. I didn't back down and I was determined all the way to the end. And that was kind of my, my motto this whole year, any sort of, uh, you know, turn or challenge that, that came my way. I tried to do with what I had. And, um, you know, I, from that point did go to the finish line, um, with my mom, drove over so we could wait and celebrate and cheer for um, Nicole and Denise and Tara and everyone else to to run through. So I think just for me, having that feeling of, of going down ragged during that training run in the tall grass and everything. I mean, Denise, I remember, <laughs> I, I, I felt a little bit bad about this afterwards, but I, I just kind of hightailed it down. Once we got to the top of Ragged and we knew that was the end, I don't know what came over me, but it was like an adrenaline rush. And I went flying down. And, um, you know, I, I can only imagine for you two what that feeling was on race day, you know, having gone through and um, after the third day, you know, completed for you. So overall, it was an incredible experience. I wanted to be sure that we gave you, Lorena, ample time to kind of talk through that because I think, you know, we, we mentioned this earlier, if you go into a race and you have an injury or something is kind of what I say, like talking to you, it's not maybe functioning at optimal um, levels. Like how do you know when to call it quits? How do you know when to pull the plug? And I think the way that you've described it is spot on, you know, and it's worthwhile for people to hear that to know that each of us has to kind of develop our own intuition, as it were, about what's going to be okay, what's too far, and it's okay to show up there, maybe not feeling 100% and give it a shot, and and maybe not finish, maybe you will finish, but maybe you won't. And I think your outlook and your point of view on this is awesome, because you've already, um, one of the things that we talked about in the group, too, is that it's not just your result on race day, like that's, you know, you're never going to get to this stationary point in your training. It's all just this one big, long continuum, right? You're either in training, you're kind of working your way to something. And even after you do the thing, then there's stuff that happens after that. And it's just this long continuum of, of an evolution where you're constantly working towards something. And this type of an incident having, you know, a, a did not start a DNS, a DNF did not finish. Um, it's part and parcel of the whole experience. And you have had that now and you have learned a lot. You've, you know, to your point, you did the damn thing. You learned what your kind of limits are in a certain scenario. And that's all super valuable information that you can take going forwards to inform, you know, either the next time you do this race or any other race, or if you choose to do the stage race going forward. So I think it's, um, it's, I'm happy that you 
agreed to come back on and wanted to talk about it because it's a, a really valuable um, point of view. So thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Denise, did you want to add to, I saw you, you were nodding aggressively when <laughs> Lorena was talking about going down ragged. Yeah. Well, I just have to, I, I mean, there are just so many things to say about Lorena, but I was just so impressed with the whole, like the training run and then the getting through the injury and your perspective on life, everything. But because interestingly, when I finished, I didn't have that like excitement I was expecting. There was like this weird thing where it was like, and now I'm done. And like, it was like this blank. And it really showed me that like the process is the thing. And I knew you had like a different meaning attached to it. But yet I, I mean, even on day three, I thought about like not finishing or like stopping at an aid station and not finishing would be harder for me than finishing, <laughs> like getting through it to the end. And to hear your story and that feeling of still accomplishment, like it's just so mature to me. I am not there yet. And I need, I should be, but like, I'm just really impressed with that perspective. And I love getting to know you. <laughs> and I will never forget you running down that hill <laughs> once. It was a training run, but she, and it wasn't mode or anything in my mind. I'm like, I'll always have that, but I was hobbling down the hill. <laughs> I don't know about hobbling. I think I think you were making your way just fine. But oh my, I I love you both and and Megan and I, I'm just really grateful. You know the fact that we can be able to talk about this together and and be real about you know what we felt happened, didn't happen. You know everything. There's there's so much um, that we experienced. And I want to just touch real quick on what Denise was saying about the it being the process for me almost. I've had races where the finish is almost anticlimactic because you've gone through the whole process of the training and, you know, you've kind of built up the race day and then you get to the end and it's almost like, Oh, it's over. Like I, what, you know, like, so I think just acknowledging that, that when you finish that it might not feel like the world's best experience because it, you might just be feeling sad and like kind of grieving the loss of the process because it's been something you've been so deeply entrenched in for weeks and months and maybe even, you know, years if you've been trying to tackle this one thing or, you know, a, a series of races that have kind of like been on your bucket list, so to speak, for a while. So, um, Nicole, I'm interested to hear from you, like how your day three kind of finished up what you think about the finish, how, how it all kind of wrapped up for you. Yeah, definitely. So I had kind of <clears throat> 180 degree experience for the finish. It was, um, so emotionally overwhelming for me. I, um, and <laughs> Lorena saw this, but it was like my finish line picture is me burying my head in my face and my hands hysterically bawling. Um, and I think it is just, there are, there were so many emotions that were obviously coming through like pride for me was paramount. I mean, that just was the overarching emotion for everything. And it's not something I really ever talk about because I'm not, you know, the disability that I had when I was young, but I was never supposed to be able to walk, let alone run a three day ultra stage race. And I, you know, 
So to come across a finish line and it ended up being 84 miles is what I clocked, not 75, <laughs> but that's okay. You know, we knew that going in, we knew it wasn't going to be 75. We knew that the course had to change for various reasons. You know, logging was happening here. We had to change locations for COVID there. Um, and you know, you just roll with it and that's fine. But, um, I was never supposed to walk, run any of it. So I'm crossing that after three days, 84 miles, looking at the face of, well, almost my, they were like literally 30 seconds late for me to finish, but it was like looking at Lorena's face, <laughs> you know, and just being so happy that I had made it. And then my daughter and husband came walking around and, um, just again, buried my face into my daughter. My poor six-year-old is just like, is she okay? <laughs> but just like, you know, hysterically crying, just so proud, so overwhelmed with joy that it was done. Um, and just really uh, just this cathartic release of every experience I had had to get to that point for those three days just came to a head at that point. And um, yeah, so much pride. Um, and I would do it again uh, in a heartbeat. I thought to myself that whole time, I'm like, I'm never doing this again. This is so hard. Now you're like sourcing people that want to do trans Rockies with you. So like she's come full circle, just full disclosure here. <laughs> yeah, it literally took 24 hours till I was like posting on my Instagram stories. So does anyone want to do trans Rockies with me next year or what? <laughs> that was by far one of my favorite posts. And like, I kind of expected, so I've been, I was kind of like reaching out to everybody, you know, post-race, like how did it go? Because I like to see you know, kind of the evolution of what happens afterwards. And like everything, just like you guys are describing, like a full, the full gamut of emotions, like you can feel kind of apathetic and, and like upset about the fact that it's over and like mourn that it's over. You can be ecstatic. And it, a lot of times it can just be like a massive release of emotions because you've almost been, and I had this at, um, at BFC two years ago, where I was just going so hard the whole day. Um, and you don't have the luxury of having a watch or a GPS or really knowing wherever the hell you are, you're just going. And by the time I came back down onto the road that leads you back to the start finish, I was just like, I had like an endorphin rush. I was sad. I was crying. I was happy. I was like running full tilt because I was on the pavement. It's just like, it was like I, my whole brain and my body went haywire and I had like zero control over it. And I was just like, we're just going to run because we got to finish this damn thing. But I'm just going to let all of this stuff happen. Like there's not much I can do about it because I've just been holding it in, you know, the whole time. <laughs> and so I like to hear how people kind of finish out their races and how what kind of um, experience they have, like mentally, physically, emotionally, because I think it's really interesting. But that's, you know, not from a judging perspective, but just like, ooh, how did how did that like land for you? Like, what did you what was your experience with that? Lorena, did you want to add to that? Yeah. And I, I just was reflecting on, you know, especially what you just said, and what Nicole, you shared about, um, you know, the different kinds of challenges to overcome in a, re a race like this. And 
Also, just the fact that we've voluntarily signed up to participate in this and reminding ourselves that we've had the privilege to do that. We have the access to do that. Um, and through the experience, it's so transformational, no matter the outcome, um, that it really propels you to the next thing. And it almost reframes what challenges can present themselves in the day to day. I personally find myself stressing over smaller things a little bit less, just knowing that what my body goes through, the stress factors, the flight flight response that comes out in a an ultra, you know, in a in a race where you're on a mountain and you might be risking something dangerously for your life, you know, talking about BFC for you, Megan. Um, and, and knowing, you know, I, I'm just grateful to, to be here, to be doing this, that I have functional legs, to be able to move through beautiful spaces, um, to know how strong my body is, to know that the efforts that I put in in training can, can really reap the rewards on the other side. And then knowing for you, Nicole, that your daughter was there and, and Denise, you too, that your, your daughters were there to see that in you and talking about, you know, your strength as, as women, as people, um, to be able to do that is just incredible. And I think the community that comes from this is just one to remember. Yeah. A hundred percent. I couldn't have said it better. Thank you for <laughs> kind of pulling it all together, Lorena, pulling it in at the end. So I guess, uh, as we kind of wind down here, I'm curious to kind of hear like your final thoughts on the stage race, like, yay or nay, would you do it again? And if you were kind of talking to someone else um, that's maybe considering it, what would you tell them? Because this is actually, <laughs> I've been on a mission to get, and I've, I'm going to give myself a small pat on the back here. I've been on a mission to get more people in general and more women to do this particular race. So I do have to say that I'm pretty excited that I had a good showing <laughs> that my recruiting efforts have paid off <laughs> and uh, that, that you guys were there and that Frank was there and, you know, so many others uh, that I've had the privilege to work with. So yay or nay, would you do it again? And if you were going to tell someone else about this race, like what would you, what would you tell them about it? You know, obviously your, your objective is to try to get them to do it again, but like, what would you tell them? What would be their, your big takeaway? Okay. Okay. I'll go first. <laughs> um, so yes, I would do it again, obviously. Um, but I would say my main takeaway was, um, I have, you know, I have a six year old and my husband, which I've shared. Um, it's important to get like, if, if someone has a similar circumstance where they have someone at home, that's going to be taking on extra while you go out and train, you know, get the commit and the buy-in as a family, because it is a huge sacrifice of your time to train for this and to train in a way that, um, you know, you're really setting yourself up for success. I don't think I could have done any less than I did. I think every training run I did was important. I feel like every mobility exercise I did was important. Every strength training exercise I did was important. Every cross training, anything, it was all so important and necessary to get to the end of Ragged. So 
saying that, you know, if you have a family unit at home that depends on you being home on the weekends and, you know, all of that get full buy-in because it is, you know, an added, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would say stressor, but it's an added responsibility. When you're not home for Saturday, you're out for six hours on Saturday, you're out for five hours on Sunday, you're gone half the weekend. So just make sure that your, you know, your whole family can commit to that sort of commitment um, because it is a commitment. Um, so that would just be my my biggest thing. I think that, yes, I would do it again with the caveat um, to I'm waiting until my husband and I can do it together so I could actually see his handsome face um, for, <laughs> you know, during the summer. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. It is a it is a big commitment, both in time and energy resources. So definitely getting full buy in from whomever, you know, you need to help and support you is a is a good piece of advice. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, so I'm still undecided if I do it again. Uh, It's not because of the race, but it's because of exactly what Nicole spoke of. It's just the commitment to training. It worked this summer, but it was hard. And it took a lot of time, you know, waking up at 4.30 in the morning on a Saturday to get, you know, the kids somewhere by 10.30 or noon or whatever. And as I mentioned, I haven't really been running since. And I do have the urge to run again. But I'm just like trying to kind of soak up all the family time after I spent so much time training. And it makes me think that maybe... I need to find something like maybe the 50k <laughs> instead of the stage race or so. But I also don't know if I would train less for the 50k. But I would definitely recommend it, <laughs> especially if you like trails. Um, it was an amazing experience. Uh, I just don't know if I could commit right away, at least. All right, Lorena, what do you? What are your final thoughts on this whole thing? To start with, say I would absolutely do the 50k again. I feel like I have unfinished business now um, to really, you know, complete the course on race day and um, and meet different kinds of goals uh, that I can set out for myself. But beyond that, I think for people who are interested in the race and or wanting to sign up but are uncertain, I can speak more to those who just might be feeling um, that they're going through a period of grief or a period of struggle. Um, which I experienced immensely and really was the, the um, starting point to want to look into this race, I would say that um, as much as you can prioritize your own, um, you know, well-being in terms of knowing what your limitations are, what you can do, and really being honest about that. Um, I think knowing who you can trust and who you can depend on um, and using your runs as an opportunity to reflect and to be able to just keep keep moving forward step by step. And a quote that I always go back to um, is by a coach Jimmy V, Jimmy Valvano, um, the late Jimmy V, who said that if you laugh, uh, think and cry in a day, that's a full day. And throughout this whole training cycle, that's been my experience. Um, and I wouldn't have it any other way. And I can't wait to do this race again in the future. 
I think that's like a perfect note to end on. That's like, we didn't even plan that. You just dropped that epic quote in there. That's amazing. (laughs) I really want to thank all of you guys for not only doing the first podcast, but coming back and kind of rehashing through the details, sharing your experiences, your thoughts, your insights. I think it's um, super helpful, especially for people who are interested in, you know, their first ultra, their farthest ultra stage races, and particularly women, because I don't always feel like we get the, you know, sort of God's honest truth when it comes to hearing about these experiences. And, and not that we want to try to necessarily, you know, like scare anybody with the real truth, but I think it really helps to inform your decision about like what you guys have all talked about, what you're taking on, the time commitment, the mental, the physical, the emotional, like all of that stuff. And so each one of you has brought a really great insight and perspective. And I appreciate you being willing to share that with me and everybody listening. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I really, really appreciate it. So what do you think? Pretty awesome, right? I love getting to chat with amazing athletes like this because it just brings some different perspectives into the conversation. And hopefully this has inspired you to go out and chase that big, maybe even scary goal that you've been thinking about for a long time. And if you need some more inspiration or you just want someone to talk to about that big, scary goal, you can always reach out to me. But I know that Denise and Nicole and Lorena would be happy to chat with you too. So I've included their Instagram handles in the show notes. Feel free to reach out, say hi, congratulate them on their accomplishment and ask any questions because guys, that's how we learn. That's how we move forwards. We don't do it by sitting around and Googling things to no end, right? We have to actually go out and do the thing and we have to talk to the people that have done it before us. It's part of the reason why I started this podcast, why I bring on all of these amazing athletes and why I'm so adamant about sharing all of this with you. Okay, so I'm invested in your big scary goals just as much as you are, but I can't want it more for you than you want it for yourself. So go out there, take the action. And as Lorena said, just do the damn thing. (laughs) If you're listening to the show in real time, then you'll know that I am in the car on my way down to Tennessee to compete in the Barkley Fall Classic tomorrow, Saturday, uh, September 18th. If you are interested in that race and all of the shenanigans that go along with it, keep an eye on my Instagram stories because I will be sharing as much as I can before and after the race. So no updates during the race. You're just going to have to sit tight for a little bit because I'm going to be working hard. There is literally no time to be doing any sort of posting during the race. And quite frankly, there's like no cell service there. So be on the lookout for a podcast, a future podcast episode all about that. Next week, you're going to hear from my friend Heather. Remember, she did the FKT attempt up here in New Hampshire. So you're going to get to recap that experience with her. And then I'll be back, like I said, the following week with a Barkley recap. So that's all for this week, you guys. Enjoy this beat and I'll see you all soon. 